it was payment for faithful service, payment for faithful service. He said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you ruler over much. For the unfaithful servant, it was punishment, punishment to the unfaithful. He called him lazy and wicked and cast him into hell. I think that, I think, could a Christian, was this a Christian? Could a Christian, can a Christian go to hell? Can a Christian go to hell? Not a Christian. Not. So this person who was a servant of the Lord, I think that one of the evidences, like talk the fruit of the Spirit and uh, make sure of your election, that one of the ways that God is going to look at there are two books that are open. There's the book of life and the book of works. Could it be that this verse is talking about the lack of works, the lack of using your gifts is an indication that you don't even know the Lord? People that don't use their gifts, that could be an indication that you never gave your life to Christ. Not that if you are saved that somehow you could lose yourself because we know you can't lose your salvation. Promotion was given. Uh, he gave what he, he gave what was taken away to another. Your assignment can change. And I shared this before that God is the only employer that doesn't fire us, even though He disqualified you. So you can be still, you can be disqualified. Your assignment changes. Your opportunity in terms of because of the damage you did to your testimony is not the same. There's some people you can't hear the way you used to because of their testimony. Did their gifts change? Nope. But the Bible says if the salt has lost it, it is good for what? That's my phone beeping. Uh, Minister, could you bring that phone in here? Thank you. Um... How to maximize your, your, your potential. Um, clear your way of obstacles. The first thing in Matthew's chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. Just bring that. Thank you. Uh, Matthew 25. Uh, confront things or persons that stand in the way. And the reason I'm not going through the verses is because I want to get through the last lesson. Okay? Confront those things that stand in the way. Compromise where you can. There are some people that are not, anything that prevents you from accomplishing the will of God for your life is a, is a distraction. It's a distraction. So when you recognize that people are not helping you live for the Lord, they are the, you, you need to do something about that relationship. Uh, compromise where you can. Cut off some relationships, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, as I shared about this situation at the church. There's some people where you need to say, adios. Uh, Matthew's chapter 18, uh, chapter 18, where the Lord talks about if your brother offends you, go to them in private. And if they don't hear you, take a second person. And if they don't hear the second and third person, you can take two people and they still 
uh, don't respond, then take them before the leadership. And then if they don't hear the leadership, basically remove them and treat them as if they're unbelievers. So there are times when relationships need to be severed. Uh, commit to serving the Lord with excellence in all that you do. Everything that you do, the Bible says, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father. We should do it with excellence. We should be professional about it. We should give the Lord our best. And I, I need to qualify that because sometimes our best, you ever go to somebody's house and it ain't clean, but they think it's clean? It don't smell right, but they used to the way it smells. Mm-hmm. And if you're around them long enough, in their mind, they, this is the best that this is going to be. But sometimes our best is not the same as what God requires. It's a blemish sacrifice. <laughs> so we have to align what God requires. And when God says, when, when what we do is, is aligned to what God requires, then it's our best. I had a young man who kept getting fired from his job. He said, you know, I'm the best employer they had. <laughs> In his mind, he was. <laughs> but the people who were paying him kept firing him because he wasn't what he thought he was. So our best is only the best when God signs off on it as the best. Does that make sense? Uh, what is a spiritual gift? Uh, oh, know your spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 through 8. Uh, the one passage that I left out there is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. That's another passage that talks about spiritual gifts. Chapter, one, chapter 4, verse 8, the gift of hospitality. And I don't believe that these gifts are intended to be exhaustive. I believe that you can, some of the Old Testament gifts with, where the, the craftsmen had spe special abilities to build the temple, God said he anointed their hands to do it. They were gifted to do it. And there are other technological gifts that you're not going to find because at that time uh, when the scriptures were written, those gifts or those terms did not exist. Just like when you read the book of Revelation, it talks about chariots and 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 birds with missiles, what we would say are missiles and planes. Back then, the way John described it was based on uh, what he was accustomed to seeing. Okay, so what are spiritual gifts? A spiritual gift is an endowment. It's an enablement. It's a capacity to serve for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. It's an endowment. It's an enabling. It's an equipping. And we receive that equip, equipping and enablement at the moment we trust Christ. And it's given to us, the purpose of our spiritual gifts is to build up the body of Christ, to edify the body of Christ. It's a special qualification granted by the Holy Spirit, a special qualification. My title does not qualify me. I work as a chaplain, and I am not a chaplain because what makes me qualified to do my job is not the title chaplain. And what I find uh, 
You can be an atheist and be a chaplain. You can be transgendered and be a chaplain. Uh, you can believe in same-sex marriages and be a chaplain. And what, what you often will see when people base their qualification on their title, when you, whenever they send something out, they have a lot of emphasis on their title because they, it's as if the title makes you qualify, but it's really the gift that gives you the special qualification. I'm a pastor because I'm gifted to pastor. I'm a shepherd because God called me to be a shepherd. Now, the interesting thing about spiritual gifts, if whatever your gift is, it doesn't stay, it doesn't remain at the church when you are. I'm a pastor wherever I go, wherever I go. That's the gift that God has given me. So whatever gift that God gave you, you are qualified to be effective in serving through that gift. That's what qualifies you. That's why you can fit right in. Uh, the, the Bible says your gifts will what? Make room for you. Okay. Um, so it's a special qualification. It's a God-given ability to serve in the kingdom, it's a divinely ordained method Christ has chosen to enable the church to execute his will. It's a divinely ordained. So you may never be a pastor or an elder, but you are ordained. He says, you didn't choose me. I, or, I have chosen you. I have ordained you. I have, so whatever your gift that, whatever, what God has called you to do, you've been ordained to do that. It's sacred. Your gift is sacred, and it's, and, it's, and it's also necessary for the body of Christ to be healthy. Uh, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? To build up the body of Christ. <clears throat> to, <clears throat> not for self, ego, for uh for egotism, it's to build up the body of Christ. Uh, how can we discover and use our spiritual gifts? One before that. Who gives spiritual gifts? The Holy Spirit. The, 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 the Trinity, actually. Remember we saw that? That the gifts come from Christ, from God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. That's how significant the gifts are, that every member of the Trinity is involved in the distribution of the gifts according to God's sovereign will. We don't get to choose our gifts. I remember taking our kids to uh, Burger King. We got a, a gift certificate. You know how you go there and get, and the gifts were for fries and a burger. And so we get there, and I, I get, every, get all the kids a, a, the fries and a burger, and they're like, they looking at me like, we can't eat this. I mean, I said, what's wrong? They said, there's no soda. There's no soda. And they were, I mean, they were really disappointed and upset that they didn't have a soda uh, with their meal. And so I, I grabbed all of that. Give me the burger. Give me the fries. I put them all in the bag. I said, let's go. Nobody got anything. It was my gift to them. It's like when God gives you something, you say, wait a minute. There's no soda with this. Uh, there's nothing, that, that wasn't being mean. Guess what? They never did that one again. 
They, they were glad. <laughs> uh, they didn't need it anyway. Nothing healthy about what I was giving them. But the point is that God distributes the gifts, and when we refuse to use them or devalue them, it's like my kids. Oh, we can't have this if, if there's no soda with it. Don't let the Lord catch you with your work undone. We have an audience of one. We're so afraid of rejection and what people are going to say, what they're going to, mm-mm. Every man's work shall be tried according to what sort they are. And if you have works that are wood, stubble, and hay, it's going to be consumed. It's going to be burned. But it's precious stone, silver, and gold. If you do what you do with the gifts that God has given you for the right reason, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. There's nothing more fulfilling besides leading a person to Christ than to use your gifts to know. I know that God is using me through my gifts to bless the church. That's fulfilling to me. When you're using your gifts, you'll be fulfilled. Amen? All right, let's run on. We're going to finish this today. Amen. Amen? Oh, I left something out. How can you discover your spiritual gifts and use your spiritual gifts? Okay. Anybody have an answer for that? How can you discover your spiritual gifts and use them? The biggest way, the biggest uh, misnomer is that somehow you're going to have this uh, epiphany. Thank you. That's the word. And, oh, there it is, like Moses in the wilderness. No, it doesn't happen like that. It's exposure. A lot of times what you're already doing is what you should be doing, but you don't call it a spiritual gift. So I say exposure. If God, one of the things that will be true of your spiritual gifts, you'll have a burden, you'll have a desire. And so I tell people, if you come and you know what's going on in the church, or if you see things that are not happening in the church, the Lord puts that on our heart. It usually it may mean that that's the reason God put it on your heart to do is because that's what you should be doing, and that's the reason it's missing in the church because you weren't here until you got here. But so I say we have we have a a a, 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 a process that you if you're interested in a ministry you serve for ninety days, and after ninety days if that didn't work for you, then you pray that God will show you another opportunity. And so it's so exposure, it's experience, it's um, I, I knew that my gift was pastor. I went to seminary to become a professor. I, went to be, I, I did not want to depend on black people to pay me. Let me be honest with you. I didn't want that. I saw, I also didn't believe my pastor, the one that I, the first exposure to a pastor, I was not going to be on the floor. <laughs> I wasn't doing that. That wasn't going to be me. And then the third thing was, I wouldn't have to do nothing with dead people. I saw pastors, they deal with dead people. They have to depend on people that don't want to pay them. <laughs> and this guy's hock spitting all over the floor. I ain't doing that. That was my impression of a pastor. I'm sorry. I'm just being 
right? And so when I got to seminary, I watched my pastor in action, and I said, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I saw my gift in, at work in somebody else's life, and that's how I began to realize my ability was in that area. So anybody else have any? How did you discover your spiritual gifts? Anybody want to share? Yes, sir. Burden, burden. Right. Yes. Some people want to teach, but you have to have, well, the ability to let not many of you be eager to teach because it's a stricter judgment. But to be a teacher, you have to have butt power. You know what that means? You got to be able to sit yourself down for hours on hours to, to understand God's word before you can stand in front of people. And now I've got artificial intelligence and all these other things where I know, I know pastors who can preach excellent sermons. They, not, they didn't write a line of it, not one line. You can go right online and find every sermon you ever want, but that's not the gift. That's, a, that, that's charlatanism. So my point is, when you, have, when you have the gift, you'll have a burden for it. You'll have a desire for it. You'll find that you have the capacity to do it. But the scripture says that we must, what, stir up the gifts. We must cultivate. We must develop them. Amen? All right. Does that help? Thank you, uh, Deacon George. Uh, the need. What, what, where do you feel burdened in, in, uh, to, 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 to get involved? That may be the exposure that opens the door. Now, here's a key area. When somebody is growing in their discipleship, one of the key ways that you'll know they are maturing spiritually is how they handle money. How people handle money will tell you anything you want to know about a person. Look at their, look at the, follow the money. Follow the money. Amen? Yeah, that's how, that's how most big criminals go down. Just follow the money. Well, the same thing. The Bible says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Okay, so we, I want to share some principles about tithing, and that's a part of the discipleship process that will help people to grow in their commitment to Christ. One of the last things that I was uh, willing to submit to the Lord was my pocketbook. Not pocketbook. My wallet, my wallet, all right, <laughs> all right, all right, giving God the first fruit of our labor was literally, literally required in the Old Testament and figuratively expected in the New Testament. 
Somebody want to read that verse? Honor the Lord with what? All with your possessions and with the first fruit of all of your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine, with new wine. And so it was literally required in the Old Testament, New Testament, figuratively required that you give God the first fruit of your labor. God required the Jews to give the first fruit of their labor. Uh, it was an expression of thanksgiving for what God had done. When somebody blesses you, you want to demonstrate your thankfulness by, in this case, by giving. So it was an expression of thanksgiving. It was also a demonstration of the priority of God in their lives because of who he is. Where your money goes to first demonstrates what's most important to you. Um, I'm amazed at, and this is, this is really, you know, not getting sidetracked, uh, people that are very successful, and we often will assume because of that that they're probably very generous when it comes to tithing, and it normally, it, that doesn't necessarily correlate. Doesn't necessarily correlate. They're wearing God's tithe. They're driving God's tithe. They live in God's tithe. And you, you assume that they must be blessed of God, and they are, but they're robbing God by withholding what is rightfully his. I'm nervous about, around people that say they love God, but they, they don't give. Really. That, that a person that doesn't, that's like the husband, he goes to work every day and he sends his money to his, <laughs> his, his, his yo, no, no, if you, if you love me, that money ought to be coming home, right? All right, let me run on. So, it was a declaration of why God deserved the first fruit. God gets the best I have to offer because he is the best. Everyone else gets what's left. Our best includes our time, our talent, our temple, and our treasure. It all belongs to him. Until you are willing to trust God with your money, you're not willing to trust God. I remember saying, Lord, I'm a single parent. I can't. I can't tie Lord, uh, you know, I, I'm driving in the car that if I, if I give all my money away, if, what's going to happen? And so what I found out was while I refused to tithe, the kid, kid stayed in the hospital. <laughs> so one way or the other, we're tithing. God's going to get his. So it's a declaration. Is God the best? So why don't we give him the best? Shouldn't we give him our best? Okay. Giving the first fruit is expected in the New Testament. Uh, in Philippians, in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, verse nineteen, it says, "Believers are expected to give thanks in all things." In all things, uh, Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three, believers are expected to make God our priority. But seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and its righteousness. But in that same passage in, in chapter in verse twenty-four, it talks about. You can't love God and mammoth 
mammon or money, but it also says that we ought to send our treasures, we should direct our deposits treasure-wise to heaven because those treasures will not rust and will not be taken away. They have eternal value, right? Okay, so we should prioritize. Believers are expected to declare that God is great and awesome, Great that God is great and an awesome God. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 25. God is great. God is the great Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. And so when I'm giving, I'm saying through my giving, God, you are great and you to be feared. You to be reverenced above all God. That's why everything that I have, I understand it belongs to you. It belongs to you. It belongs to you. Giving God his first is not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what God has given you. What are you doing with what God has given you? Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Somebody want to read that? Not everybody at the same time, though. You want me to volunteer somebody? Thank you, Sister Sharon. Whoever can be trusted. Is this the verse right here? Yep. Whoever can be trusted with a very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonored, dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Stop right there. So, say it. Don't say it. So, if we say, if I had more, I'd give more. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> You're going to give what you're giving now. All right, continue. Notice the contrast that we treat monetary wealth as the most important. And God says true wealth is not material. It's spiritual. The greatest thing that you can continue, there's still a little bit more of that. It's, it's the spiritual. Yes. Okay. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you have 100 cows, who will give you Okay, you stop right there. That was an illustration. The, the farmer who said, the pastor said, uh, if you had 100 cows, would you give the Lord 50? He said, Lord, I'd give the Lord 50 if I had 100. He said, if you had uh, 50 horses, would you give God 20, uh, 25? Oh, I'd give God 25. He said, what about chickens? If you had, if you had, uh, uh, if you had uh, uh, 10 chickens, would you give God five? He said, oh, I sure would. He said, what if you had two pigs, would you give God one? He said, oh, you know I only had one pig. God, God knows I only had one pig. So, we can make all kinds of excuses why we don't get. But the greatest treasure is spiritual. So God said, I'm not going to trust you with the choices, insights from heaven when you're dishonest with material, with material things. Giving to God Giving to God his first recognizes that he, re he rewards according to your faithfulness rather than the amount that you give. The Bible says it is required of a steward to be found what? Faithful. It's not the amount that you give in terms of you don't have to equal what I give and I don't have to equal what you give. We don't all have the same thing, but we all have been commanded to tithe. It's inexcusable for people to sit under the word of God and not tithe. That's sin. It's sin. 
I remember a pastoring lady said, well, I don't give because I give my time. We all give our time. But God, a tithe is not your time. It's your, it's your talent. It's cash. So we, we can't make excuses. I give God my trust. No, first of all, it's not even mine. It's his. Giving God his first is a matter of the heart. We always share that. For wherever your treasure is, that will reveal your heart. Are you wearing God's tithe? You open your mouth full of gold. You, wear, you got your tithe. Okay. Uh, giving, God, uh, giving God his first is an act of obedience, devotion, discipline. It demonstrates obedience to God's word and all the tithe of the land, whether of seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it belongs to who? It is the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The tithe is holy. It's sacred. Uh, the tithe is what? How much is a tithe? And that's not even a tip. What's, how much are tips now? 20, 15, 20, it starts at 15%. God said, all I want is a tenth of what, what already belongs to me. Now, what do you give God a tenth out of? Out of your gross, not your net. So when you get your, whatever your gross is, that's what you should be tithing from. Uh, the tithe is, the tithe belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. The tithe is holy, it is sacred. Uh, it's, it's a spiritual, it's an act of, it's a spiritual act of worship when you give. The tithe is a command for every Christian. And something said, well, the tithe was back in the Old Testament, and the Bible talks about grace giving and spirit-led giving. And when you read uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that wasn't the instruction for how every church should give. That was a specific instruction given to Paul, sent to the Corinthians, who had made a commitment to support the Jews in Jerusalem who were experiencing a famine. They said they were going to give a certain amount. And so this was like a special offering, like a sacrificial offering, and they hadn't given it. And Paul says, God has blessed you with every spiritual gift. Why haven't you given, et cetera? So it, those chapters don't replace the tithe. This is what Paul was saying. In addition to the tithe, make this sacrificial offering to the church that was in, in Jerusalem. So the tithe preceded the law. So we're not, no, we're not. But Abraham gave a tithe to Mount Kizedek. So that was before there was a Moses, there was a Mount Kizedek, and there was an Abraham, and he tithed. So the tithe existed prior to the law. So the, there's nowhere in the scriptures where it says that the tithe was abolished. But the, what grace, spirit-led giving actually says, in terms of how I apply it as a principle of my life, you start at the tithe, but you don't stop there. That's where love offerings and sacrificial offerings, so you, you don't restrict it. Oh, I'm only going to God said just give a tithe. No, you give over and above that if you can. So as you have purposed in your heart, let every man give. Let no one give grudgingly because God loves a cheerful giver a cheerful giver. So as I'm led by the Spirit, 
to commit to sacrificial love giving over and above the tithe, that's basically between you and the Lord. Okay? All right, we are, where are we? Three, okay. Believers are expected to bring an offering to the church as a part of the worship experience. Worship experience. Believers' offering is viewed as a sweet-smelling scent in the nostrils of God. Isn't that something? It's an act, it's an act of worship that goes, up, goes into heaven, and God receives it as a fragrance. What fragrance is God receiving from your offering? The harvest. When you remember in the book of Ruth, how, how Ruth, uh, Boaz, owned a field, but there was always extra for people who were poor to glean from the extra to have some. So I believe that we ought to always have, and we should always have an overflow. So you do come to church, you already know what you're going to give, but maybe the Lord will put on your heart to put something in the past, no, put something in somebody's hand. And I shared this story too. I remember, you know, going to church as a single parent. I had just enough gas to get to church. Shouldn't even go to church. But I knew if I could get there, it just needed to be a Bible. This is a Bible study. And I never left there without somebody grabbing my hand, Sister Mary, and shaking my hand, and there's money in my hand. I didn't, have, I didn't say I was broke. Maybe I look broke, but <laughs> there ought to be people that the Lord can lead you to bless in that way. Amen? All right, we're running on. Where are we at now? Okay, so it's this one. Now, concerning the election of the saints, I have given orders uh, to the church of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as, he may, as you may prosper, that there, be a, that there be no collection when I come, that you don't come to church writing, uh, trying to figure out what you're going to give. And when I come, whoever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear the gift to Jerusalem. That's what I was talking about, the gift to Jerusalem. Now, listen, to, so here's the way the giving should occur. He said the first day of the week, that's routinely, that's the discipline. Lay aside, lay aside first. It's purposefully. You're doing it on purpose. You're not waiting to get a feeling or waiting until God just says, no, no, no. You're being very intentional about it. Uh, let each one give. It's, indiv it's individually. Give individually. Uh, storing up as God has prospered you generously and prayerfully, give as much as you can, not, as, not the least that you can. Think that way. I want to give as much as I can, not the least that I can. I often pray for wealth. I would love to be rich. Not to be rich to have money. I love blessing people. I really do. I really do. But if I did what I want to do, I'd be broke. I'd be broke. So I'm always thinking, Lord, how much more can I give? Not how little can I give? Are we doing our best? Okay, that there be no collection when I come. It's privately. Place your offering in an envelope prior to coming to church. Whoever you approve, selectively give. The ministry that is blessing you should be the pri your priority and the ministry that are managed by trustworthy leaders. Paul sent two people. There was never a time when one person was collecting the offering. 
we should have known. We went to Bermuda, and every time after I preached, I did a revival there for seven, was it seven days? The pastor was the only one, five days, the pastor was in that room counting that money by himself. The door was open. I said, why is this guy counting the money by himself? And the ladies, the people that would walk by and shake my hand, they said, the pastor is an actor. The pastor is an actor. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> when it was time for us to leave, he came and he said, I don't have enough to pay for your plane tickets. <laughs> so here we are in Bermuda. We're not enough money to get back home. They, of course, we made, I, I got, got, didn't get paid for any of the services that were packed out. And they collected offerings. So one of the ladies in the church worked for the airline, and she gave us a first-class seat. That's the only way we got. We'd be still in Bermuda now with Brandon because <laughs> uh, the pastor was collecting the offering by himself. Anyway, uh, a practical, practical examples in Haggai, oh, my goodness. Um, God reminds the spiritual leaders he expects his first. He starts with the leaders. If you're in a position of leader, if you're a leader, a deacon or an elder, or a pet, and you're not tithing, you're in sin. You can't. He started with the leaders. He said, he told the prophet Haggai, go to the leaders and tell them to tell my people that they're failing to finish what I gave them the assignment to do. The reason he starts with the leaders is the church, as the leaders go, so will the church. Amen? God rebuked the people for failing to give to him first. When you get a chance, read Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. God rebuked them for their selfishness. You build for yourselves. You got every device known to man in your house. But you're going to get around to tithing. You're going to get around to uh, helping bridge the gap. That gap would still be there if we're waiting for you. Not anybody in this room, but, you know, for those who are in this room. Amen. Praise the Lord. I got a lot of love emojis uh, for our Bridge the Gap, but praise the Lord for that. Uh, he rebuked them for procrastination. They said, is it, is it time? Yeah, it ain't time yet. Is it time? Uh, we got a call from someone. They wanted to know, after I preached on Get Your House in Order, they wanted to figure out how they could leave something for the church when they die how they could bless the church beyond the grave. Uh, he rebuked them for their neglect. God informed the rebuked of what happens to those who fail. He said, consider your ways. You're, I cut holes in your pocket. I blow your, your money away, etc." Read that passage. God desires repentance from those who fail to give him his first. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, saith the Lord. So the first thing he says, get busy now. If you're not, get busy now. Give to God's work. The work in, in this case, he says, bring wood. They had to pay for the wood to, to, uh, or cut it down or have effort. So the, the, the currency here was wood. Give, give to God's word. Glorify God. He says, I will take pleasure in it and be glorified. When we can contribute to the work of God, he says, I will take pleasure in it, and it will bring glory to me. 
God will restore you if you are obedient to the command to tithe. God restores you when you obey him. Uh, Zerubbabel and the son of Sheatil and Joshua and Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnants of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord. God restored them. God restores when we fear him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. When we tithe, what we're showing is reverence to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. God restores fellowship when we repent. And Haggai, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke to the people, spoke to the Lord's message, spoke the Lord's message, I'm sorry, to the people saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. So the Lord says, I've been cursing your, your finances, but now I'm with you. When we repent, the Lord restores us. All right. We are almost there. He restores his power and purpose for your life when you give him his first. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Sheatil, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua and the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the sixth year of King Darius, this is when they did this. He gave them the power and the ability to complete the assignment in three weeks. We're not going to have any problem when we, re when we relocate to Middletown. God is going to bless us. We're going to pay that property off. We're going to be able to move to phase two and phase three. And we're time to go. But that's going to be because we're faithful in giving God his first. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we bless you for all that we've learned during this, these weeks of using this material. May we take this material and use it in the lives of others that they may make disciples that make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.